Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to this week's message. My name's Aaron, and I'm on the staff team here at Eastlake. Everything we do around here depends on the generous donations of our local and online community. People just like you, who tune into these messages and see great benefit from living that idea that life is a gift and love is the point. So if you love what Eastlake is up to, we'd encourage you to contribute by going to eastlakecc.com. With that, let's jump into this week's message. Today, we hear from Kent Dobson as he begins our new series, Do You Believe in God? Please check the description for links to our quarterly Spotify playlist and guided meditation. Hey everybody, Kent Dobson here. Thanks for being a part of the East Lake community and I am honored to be teaching again. I've taught on and off at East Lake, oh, I don't know, for five or six years is my guess. And it's really good to be back. And let me ask you a question. What kind of spiritual community would ask the teacher, or to, what kind of spiritual community would do a series with the title, Do You Believe in God? Yeah, East Lake, might do something like that. What a, what a strange and perilous and alluring invitation. And I have to be honest with you, it's a question I like to avoid. Do you believe in God? It makes me uncomfortable. It probably makes you uncomfortable just in the sense that, isn't it true that we often say we believe things and act as if we don't? <laughs> To what extent do our beliefs correspond to what's real, to reality with a capital R? Aren't often our beliefs aspirational, sometimes delusional? <laughs> I mean, we put a lot of stock in them, but they, they're sometimes like a vapor, like, like, like a wind. So I like to avoid the question, do you believe in God? And the first thing I thought of when I got a text message that said, do you want to speak on this topic? First thing I thought of was a quotation from Jung, which I'm not going to give you. In fact, I thought, now why would I, why would I start a talk, do you believe in God, by quoting someone else? Oh, I know why, because I'd like to avoid it. I'd like to not say. And, and that has a place. I think we don't have to always put all of our cards on the table. Jesus has that like kind of terrible line, do not cast your pearls before swine. <laughs> I'm not calling any of you swine, I'm just saying it's like, no, some things are, are, are precious in a way and can't be given away so easily. That's a little how I feel about, about this question, but I'm gonna try to address it. I'm, I, I wanna try to look at it. I wanna try to say, um, whether or not I believe in God. I, I want to actually ask the question, do you believe in God? And what would it look like for you to wrestle with such a thing? And is that even the best way of putting it? And so that's where I'm going. And I just got back from Israel. And as some of you may know, I've been leading tours there for 
a long time, since 2003 when I first moved there as a graduate student. And, um, and my, my, own, my own trips, my own way of leading the trips, of, of course, has morphed and changed and grown and evolved. And, and yet they're still rooted in, in the ancient discipline of, of pilgrimage. And pilgrimage exists in just about every religion that I know of. As a, as a, it's, a, it's a kind of living or walking prayer pilgrimages where kind of a physical journey somewhere mirrors the internal journey or harmonizes with the internal journey. And, and that's why I still do them. It's not because I want to give people a, you know, a, a crash course in biblical history and religion. And although I do do a bit of that, um, it's not for the information. It's, it's because, because walking and walking with an open heart shapes us in certain ways. The way in which we expose ourselves to other people and to a landscape and to ancient texts and what else is there? And, and pilgrimage is kind of like an intensification of something. It's a, it's a moment in time, like a, like a, like a liminal passage. And, and sometimes it works. Sometimes it, it activates us in just the right way. So anyway, I'm just coming back from that and it was really an amazing trip. I led it with a friend of mine from Denver, uh, Michael Hidalgo, who's, who we've led now several trips together, kind of co-led them and that, that was a real gift. Um, but, you know, because of COVID, nobody's been anywhere for two years and, and, and Israel, Palestine and the sites that we visited were, were very empty. And some of them were the emptiest that I've ever experienced them. And that had a kind of strange quality to it. And even some of my friends who, who live in Israel were just talking about how strange it is the last couple of years because Israel is one of those places that has like kind of a specialness attached to it, you know. Um, people go there with high expectations and, and, and just numbers alone, it, there's a certain vibe or energy with that when you're in a place and let's say you're in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is right in the center of the old city of Jerusalem that commemorates the death and resurrection of Jesus. And there are people from all over the world. There's a certain kind of buzz there, whether you like it or not, whether you're drawn to it or not, it's like there's an activation there. For, so for it to be empty is, is interesting to me. And, and I was imagining the priests. I watched a Franciscan procession when I was in there and I was just imagining, I was like, oh my God, they did this with no one around for two years. Like, just think about that. Going in and, you know, shaking the incense and, and lighting candles and kneeling and going through the rituals and, and sharing the space with other Christian groups and communities, monastic ones, I mean, alone in, in emptiness. What a strange phenomenon. You know, why? Do they believe in God? You might even ask, where is God? And that's why we have sacred places. I mean, sacred places are, are supposed to mark something, supposed to mark contact and, or the possibility of contact. And, and yet also as modern people, it makes us uncomfortable. I mean, is, we're, are we supposed to conclude God is here and not there? You know, there's this idea that um, God is everywhere, but sometimes that also feels like, well, then God is nowhere. Or people say everything is spiritual. And I wanna say, yeah, but then nothing feels spiritual. And, 
And I know a lot of things that do not feel that spiritual. So human beings maybe have always been in this conversation, this, this line between sacred space and ordinary space and, and the passage between spaces or between worlds. And that's what altered states of consciousness are like. You know, it's like our awareness shifts and we find ourselves almost in a different geography and, and then, then the ordinary geography. And I don't know, it's part of the dance. It's part of the, the dance around the divine, we could say. But anyway, I was starting to think about the emptiness of, of the sepulcher, and sepulcher means tomb in Latin, and, and it also it's funny, like you go, you go there, and if you go, the sepulcher is like a church within a church within a church, and, and inside the smallest room is where the tomb was of Jesus, and of course he's not there, you know, that's like the point of Christianity. He's not there, it's empty, it's vacant, it's, there's an abyss inside, there's a solitude, there's, a, there's an emptiness. You know, a God of emptiness, of the void. I mean, let that, you know, feel that for a moment. I was always struck by, um, there's a story in antiquity where Pompey apparently comes to Jerusalem and he, and he marches into the Holy of Holies and that's the inner room within the inner room of the temple and there's nothing there and, and that seems right on one level. Yeah, do you believe in that God? I don't know if you've ever read the story of the golden calf. Even if you haven't, you've heard of it, you know, like Moses is up on a mountain and the, the Bible says that he, that the, the people were like, we don't know whatever happened to this fellow Moses. And they, they convince Aaron, the priest, to make something and they gather their gold and and Aaron has this funny line that comes a little later in the story. He says, I don't know, I, I threw this gold into the fire and out came this golden calf. And, you know, they found the objects like this in antiquity. They're very small. I mean, that's, that's kind of the image. Um, but the line, most people think about that story of, of Moses comes down from the mountain. He's got the Ten Commandments on these tablets. And one of them says, make no graven image. And, and he sees them all worshiping the golden calf. And, and we all assume, oh, they're worshiping idols or, or they're worshiping other gods. And, and he smashes the tablets and gets super pissed and has to make another pair. Um, but that's not what the text says exactly, that they were worshiping other gods. In Hebrew, it says this, Aaron says, behold, Elohim, who brought you out of Egypt. Elohim is a plural word for God, so that's intriguing in and of itself. You could translate it gods, but you know, <laughs> preachers aren't gonna often tell you that, but that's the word, Elohim, gods. But it seems to be a kind of stand-in for the God of Israel, Elohim. And so what is Aaron saying? He's saying, this is Elohim. This is Elohim who brought you out of Egypt. Like, it's hard to stand next to emptiness. It's hard to stand next to the abyss. It's hard to say, I believe in a, in, in a God who's um, ineffable, who is fundamentally unknown. So there's a craving for a crucifix or a golden calf or an object or, I'm not even saying that impulse is wrong. I'm saying I have it. And, and it's amazing that a 3,000 year old book would say, 
that, yeah, but that's missing the point in some way. There is no image of the divine. It's funny that about, I don't know, if you do the math, something like, I don't know, a few hundred years later, there's a king in Israel who does the same thing. He repeats this, this story. His name is Rehoboam, king of the northern tribes. And, and, he's, and he wants people to come to his place of worship at a place called Dan and um, instead of Jerusalem because the kingdom is divided at this, this point in, in Israel's history. And so he does the same thing. He makes a golden calf and, and the priests say, this is Elohim and come here and worship. And that's also an odd story because haven't they read Exodus? Well, probably not. I mean, it's, they probably heard of the story for sure. It's not like people have little copies of their Bible. Um, but two stories saying that there's an abyss when we come close to the ineffable. It's ineffable. It's like Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And has he forsaken Jesus? He has. There's, there's an emptiness there. There's a cry unto the silent heavens. Do you believe in God? Or do you believe in our artificial constructs? The golden calf we wear around our neck, you know? The, the doctrine statement we've been told is, is non-negotiable. The ways that we've said, the divine has to happen on my terms, you know? And I think, you know, if there's a God, God must be, the divine must be patient with these kinds of um, uh, childlike attempts to name the divine. Fine, why not? We're all children. We never fully leave the childlike state, and we're all immature on one level, and we're all trying to name the unnameable, and, and, and I think that's part of it. Um, when I was working for a megachurch, I remember there was a phrase that kept going around when we were really pushing against the, the theology of our own of our own institution, and, and it was like, the phrase was, well, my Jesus would never, you know, fill in the blank, and yeah, that's God on the ego's terms. And I think it's something like, yeah, fine. Um, for a while, but would you like to step into the Holy of Holies, the, the emptiness, the abyss, where the trap door opens and the bottom falls out, and, and the ego is no longer in control, and something of the soul, um, our inner essence begins to have a say. And, and for me, it's something like this, that I wonder, I wonder if the, if the soul is the part of us that knows God and, and the part of us that is known by God, the divine, that is in communion or conversation with the ineffable and, and the eternal and the, and the nameless is at home in that world and, and when the ego is sufficiently dissolved <laughs> and cracked open, like Moses coming down and smashing everything to bits and you no longer know who you are and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's an inner room in there. There's an inner holy of holies, it seems to me, that knows God and is known by God, but it's quiet. It's, it's hard to speak about. And, and in some ways, it doesn't have a lot to do with belief. 
in my experience at least. In fact, I might even say that if I ponder, do I believe in God? I might say, well, the first thing I recognize is the desire for God. That I know. I don't know if I know it as a belief, but I know it as a desire, a longing, a craving, a hunger for the mystery. Yeah, that's present. That doesn't even require belief. That requires a kind of subtle consciousness, like, or an awareness that I have this craving, this hunger. I don't know where it comes from. It's like an instinct, the same instincts that, that you know, for, for food and, and sex and, and shelter. And it's, it's like that kind of primal uh, longing. Yeah, do I believe in that? I, I know that feeling, I have that. I, and, and it's like a compass at times and like it, it points. And, and sometimes it's hard to trust and sometimes as we lose contact with it, it, it it's like it evaporates and, um, or it goes into hiding like a, like a shy animal. And I don't know, do you, do you believe in God? Do you, do you feel the longing, the desire? So yeah, I, I believe in as much as I, I know this desire. And, and part of me wonders if the desire itself is the other side of the tuning fork of the divine. And when it's rung, the divine hums the opposite wave or however a tuning fork works, you know, this wave-like spiral that is the resonance of our own being at home in the world. That's homecoming. And <clears throat> so whether or not I, I believe in statements about God, I'm not even saying they're wrong, you know? <clears throat> But it's not exactly what I'm talking about, and, and, it, and it doesn't quite touch what I'm calling the, the desire for the divine. That can be trusted, I think, the desire. Um, and just a shout out for beliefs, you know, I often look down upon them and say they're not that important, but that's a kind of belief too. So I, I'd like to have more humility that beliefs do matter. And, and even the ways people have tried to name the divine, hey, at least there's a conversation present. And we ought not to lose the conversation because what the hell else are we going to talk about? Have you noticed most things on the internet aren't really worth talking about? God, aren't you so sick of them? Um, so I wrote down some questions. And I want to try to ask them and leave them in your lap and let you hear what is yours to hear. And there's a kind of empty, there's a kind of solitude and even loneliness with such, such a question. Do you believe in God? Most people who wrestle with that want the crowd, the madness of the crowd to answer the question for us. You know, give us Barabbas. We all shout together, give us, you know, something that the group can cling to. And, and then after the glitz and, smoke and um, fervor and flag waving and song singing and feel good 
group moments, then you lie down in your bed and you're awake at 3 a.m. That loneliness right there, that moment, is when the deeper question arises, do I believe in God or what is God? Maybe that's the first question I want to say. Hey everyone, it's Kristen. Just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in. I hope that you're finding these messages helpful for you in your everyday life. Um, that's what we're trying to do here is gather around the idea that life is a gift and love is the point and let's give ourselves ways to move forward in that in our own everyday world. Um, so I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for being a part of this community. To those of you who have participated and given financially, we wanna say thank you to you. Everything that we do here happens because people make contributions. People say, I value this place. I want it to exist for me and for other people. And so I'm going to support it. And so we just want to say how grateful we are um, that you do that. And for those of you who maybe haven't had a chance to contribute yet, um, we would ask you to consider maybe doing so. If you find this place beneficial, if you find these messages helpful for you, then um, consider joining us in that way. You can go to eastlakecc.com to make a contribution. Um, and we just always are thankful for the people who want this place to exist. So thanks again for tuning in. Let's get back to the message. Who or what is God to you? Who or, who or what is the divine to you? And forget, forget the quotations. Don't look anything up. What do you mean by God? To me, I'm not trying to be exhaustive, but God is something like a force. It's something like a question. The divine poses a certain kind of question on the psyche and on the soul and on our being. And maybe one way of saying it, at least for me, is God is the name for what is of ultimate concern. Maybe that's one way of putting it. What is of ultimate concern? To wrestle with the question, do I believe in God, is like, to, is like wrestling with the question, do I believe or do I care about, do I long for, do I desire, what is of ultimate concern? And my answer to that is yes. And I, the moment that's out of my mouth, I also admit, I don't know what's of ultimate concern. And, and there's the, the beautiful tension we shall carry to our grave. I don't know what is of ultimate concern. And that's my deepest longing. And that's the thing that's pulling me and, and luring me. What is of ultimate concern? And, and there's a kind of surrender, a kind of consent to, to that, at least in my view, that's necessary and kind of beautiful. And isn't all deep spiritual wisdom saying it's about surrender? So what would it be like to surrender to things that are of ultimate concern? which means everything else is passing away. You know, it's um, here one day and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, to quote Jesus. So yeah, I'm, I'm a person that would like to be about the things that are of ultimate concern. And I'd like, and I'd like to find out where I'm wrong. You know, I, there might be things that I hold as ultimate concern that are simply, that aren't. So, Maybe God is also the thing that disrupts what we think is of ultimate importance. That's sort of question number one. Well, it's question number two. Mm. Question number two. What is my actual experience of the divine by any name? Even if, even if the first thing out of your mouth 
is I don't have one. That's the starting place. That, that seems to me to be important. What is my actual experience of the divine? One thing you can say about, about Jesus, about Christ, which you know, stands right in the, the like, a, like, a, like a hinge in the development of, Western, of the Western world, even though Jesus was the Eastern, you know. We all think about Christianity as being from the, the, the Western world, but it was born in the East. It's interesting in and of itself. But anyway, um, one thing that we can say about Jesus is that the little hints and guesses that come out of his mouth seem to say you can have a direct, unmediated experience of the ineffable. That's what he called the spirit of the wind. You can have a direct, unmediated experience of the ineffable. It's possible. In fact, it's totally natural. It's as natural as the way the hummingbird knows how to fly from um, Florida across the Gulf of Mexico to Mexico. What? What? How is that possible? Yeah, that kind of thing. That kind of, it's that natural. Um, so what's my question? What's your experience of the divine? What's your experience of the ineffable? What if you were just honest about it? And what are the most numinous and mysterious moments in your life or encounters or conversations or <clears throat> whispers? What if you took them seriously, at least as seriously as you might take ordinary things like you need to make a living and raising kids and raising hell and all that stuff? Yeah. What is your actual experience of the divine? And what if that, what if you surrendered to that as well? Okay, question three. It's kind of uh, maybe, maybe not a necessary one, but it rattles around for me, and it has been lately. And, um, and it was rattling around when I was in Jerusalem, and, and it's something like this. Is Christ, or Christianity, going now again into the tomb? Into the womb, the tomb, womb, uh, container. It seems like that, like something of the way we've held Christianity seems to be dying. And, and I, by the way, mean something different than what people call deconstruction of faith. Okay, fine. There's a moment for that. The death of something is not deconstruction. You know, it's not like I used to think this and, and I'm, now I think this. And no, the whole thing, it goes into the, it goes into the earth. Like, like again, to quote Jesus, unless a grain of wheat dies, it, re it remains a single seed. So the death of something, like the death of Christ again, or the death of, of Christianity as we've come to know it. And, and, um, and you know what that experience is like? It's like getting closer to the emptiness. It's like, now what? Now what? It's the three days between. Feels like we're at that kind of place, globally. Um, even Eastlake is the kind of church that is curious about what's dying, what's dying, what's, and what's not yet, you know, reborn. It's, 
It's the three days in between things. It seems like we're in that kind of place. And again, what if we surrendered to that? Which means, on one level, we have to surrender our ideas about God. We don't know what we're talking about. We don't know what we're talking about. We don't know what we're talking about when we say Christ. We don't know what we're talking about when we say Jesus. We don't know what we're talking about when we say Jesus saves. We don't know. We don't know. And that's not to say we don't know anything. It's not nihilism. It's like, you know, well, there's no, there's no meaning, period. It's like the desire and the craving for what's of ultimate concern is still present and still like a compass, though it's leading us, it's a compass that's working at night in the fog on the ocean. <laughs> Seems that way to me. And um, so what, what even of your own ideas about Christianity, about Jesus are, are going into the tomb and, and you don't really want them to, but it's just what's happening and, um, and your beliefs about these things. And what would it look like to have to surrender to the, to the present state of, of the world as it is? Okay, let me think. I got one more question. And it's more of an observation and it's a reiteration of what I said a few minutes ago. It has to do with the soul. I mean, the soul is another one of those words like God. Like, do you believe in the soul? That'd be a worthy series too. And what do we mean by that? And, and sometimes I'm like, we should throw out words like God or soul. And then two minutes later, I start using them. And it's because they, it's because they have no bottom that I think they have a place. God is the name we give to the unnameable. And the soul is the name we give to our inner depths that are, that's also unnameable. And, and see what you think about this premise of mine, that the soul... The soul is the, the part of us that knows God when the ego doesn't. The soul is the part of us that is known by God. Don't, don't, you, don't you know that feeling of wanting to be deeply known? Well, the soul is the part of us that is known by God. It's beneath the ego's pressing and urgent concerns and, and ideas and beliefs. And, and so it feels like that the ego has to die in order to taste such a thing. And maybe it's just a taste. It's, it's just a small bite or a, a, a little whisper, like the way a, a, the way a lover might whisper something into your ear and your whole body hums for a moment. And anyway, maybe, what do you think about the soul as the place that knows that knows God. See, that's, that's different than beliefs and is known. It's, it knows and it's known. And, and what would it look like for you to take the life of your own soul more seriously? Like Jesus, again, keeps coming up a lot for me, obviously, in this talk. And what can you give in exchange for your soul? Yeah, good question, Jesus. What can you give in exchange for your soul? Nothing. So... <clears throat> What does it look like? What would it look like to take the, the soul, the life of the soul more seriously? And it might require something of a descent. Again, something like a surrender. Like, I guess my ego doesn't know what it's talking about. And, and there's a, um, a settling back into something. And the surprise is that, you know, I had that image of, of 
Adam and God on the Sistine Chapel. You know, their fingers are almost touching. And life is like that. Like the ineffable is just out of reach. And, and at moments, though, there's contact. There's communion. There's union. There's a taste of oneness. And it's just that. It's a taste. And then we experience, again, the, the distance. There's like a, um, a billion light years of distance between the finger of Adam and the finger of God. And also, Adam is enveloped in the universe that is God. So it is a paradox that's present. And I think the life of the soul is what's most needed in the 21st century, a life of the soul and um, a life that begins to turn its attention to things of ultimate concern. Uh, uh, it's time to wrestle again with, do, do we believe in God? Um, what is our experience of God? Who or what is God? Um, and who ought to be wrestling with that? Not like, you know, academics or, you know, you know, college freshmen in their first philosophy class. I mean, I'm glad, let, let the questions begin. But those inside who in some way say, I have a spiritual life or I'm part of the church or I'm a loose, loosely part of the church, the insiders, you know, that, that's who, you know, it, Jesus says it's the sick who, who need healing and the religious people are the sick people, it seems to me. And ought to, ought to be wrestling with these things. So I don't know, maybe, maybe I want to land there. And... Um, my hope is that you'll hear a hint, a guess, a clue, a prompt, that something I said will, you know, like a witch, stir, stir your own cauldron and stir things up and, and um, I hope you'll trust that the mystery of your own soul, the mystery of your own essence is in conversation with the ineffable. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for joining us. To make a donation, head to eastlakecc.com slash donate.